All right, and welcome everybody to this week's episode of Optimal You in the house. Got two awesome guests. I'm super excited. We've got Stu and his lovely wife, Kate Cup. Hey guys. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Thank you guys so much for being here. Stu, we met through work probably two, three years ago. Maybe four. Time flies. Good times. <laughs> uh, I was I was working in the gym at 1-800-CONTACTS uh, and we connected. You were going through a, a fitness journey yourself, had questions, and uh, that's really how our relationship and friendship started. And from there, uh, the following of each other on social media, sharing and exchanging of numbers, texts. <laughs> hey, will you look, what about these heart rate ranges? And what, what does this look like? What should I be doing? Uh, giving you advice on, I, I remember one in particular. I, I think I told you that I uh, would eat Jolly Ranchers during my workout to get a little bit of sugar and a little bit of a yeah. boost. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I was smart. asking about sugars during the workout. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I was asking about macros in general. Yeah. And you've since moved on from the 1-800-CONTACTS and taken another job now, but we've still been connected. And as I started the show, thinking of um, people who I wanted to bring on to share their story, I've been loosely connected to your story um, through social media. And today we're going to be talking about uh, infertility, your experiences and your struggles with that. Now, your awesome wife, Keika, joining <laughs> us here, has her own vlog going that shares this story and experiences uh, and I've listened in. You've got a very successful platform, so I'm excited to have you here with us Thank as well. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's start right at the beginning. When did this this romance, this relationship start? How did it start? <laughs> oh, man. Back when TVs were still in black and white. Um... <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> no, so it started, gosh, on the spot a few years. So it's probably been 2002. I went on my mission, um, got called to Texas. It was love with Texas mission. Hey, I, I served in Texas too. Oh, Houston. You did? Houston. Oh. Yeah. West Texas is a lot different than Houston. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's still Texas. Everybody loves each other. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on my mission there. I was serving in an area. Um, one of the missionaries out there I became pretty good friends with. He was pretty funny. And somehow we ended up being partners up together. Like I was things on family basis. Um, Wait, I feel like we should pause there. Because for me at this point in my life, I was in, I was at Utah State going to college, and one of my roommates, her boyfriend went on his mission to Lubbock, Texas. Okay. And so she was writing him letters like a dutiful girlfriend would for the time <laughs> being. And, um, you know, she's telling him about college life sending pictures and you're my roommate well I knew the boyfriend we all went to high school together but um anyway so I was in several of the pictures that she was sending you were student body officers yeah yeah oh we, wow we were, we were friends. friends yeah okay anyway yeah so I'm I'm with him um and of course we're sharing pictures of you know our families and everything back home and he whips out this massive photo album of pictures of his girlfriend he's like oh look at all these pictures of my girlfriend I was like okay whatever but yeah, one of the pictures in there was a picture of his girlfriend with her roommates, and Kate was one of the roommates. So I saw this picture, and I always joke about it, but in the picture, Kate was the tallest one in the picture. But they're like standing in front of a window or something. So like, 
think it had this like halo of light surrounding her head and she was just so beautiful i was just like oh my gosh you know as i was looking at this picture so i was like like hi i've got to rate this girl and he's like oh she's dating a friend and then like literally that day when we got the mail there was a tape from his girlfriend and then on this tape Pika jumps on real quick and she's like I broke up with my boyfriend and I was just like it's, it's destiny here we go so I instantly rewrote letters to, to mail back to him and just sent, yeah. just sent Pika a, a letter with a picture of him yeah his first letter the very first line is Kit Kat <laughs> I love you and I saw that and I'm like that's bisexual wow yeah <laughs> But, Red flags um, run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, great. What is that mission you're doing? But <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm an 18 year old young kid, and I see this picture, and I thought he was hot. So I'm like, okay, he's okay looking. Okay. I was a, yeah, I was a spelt 185. I was in shape. I was young. <laughs> so World we hadn't got me down. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> but we like it was very slow at first. Like we wrote back and forth like maybe once every other month for the first little while it was very um yeah just kind of slow but then it just kind of picked up and we would email each other sometimes he started sending me like audio tapes because this is like early 2003 (laughs) and before the techno boom exactly (laughs) yeah so we were sending tapes back and forth and then he i mean Stu is a good missionary but he's also kind in breaking some rules <laughs> so he called me on mother's day and we I talked wasn't against mission rules okay and anyway so we talked letter of the law and spirit of the law oh, you know the mission president said <laughs> i can't remember anyway so when he um when he got home off his mission i was really nervous and i because everyone knew of goodman at this time and <laughs> and wanted us to start dating immediately. And I'm like, what if it's just like the idea of each other that we like? What if we don't actually really like each other? We like we've been pen pals for heaven's sakes. And anyway, so I met him the first day he came home and Oh wow. Yeah, and yeah. I was scared to death. <laughs> but I don't know I don't know what my plan was. Like I knew I wanted to meet Pika, but I don't know that I necessarily had this plan to meet him when I got home. And I think my mom yeah number and then handed me the phone yeah really like uh, <laughs> come over i'm home you need that help when you're fresh home I'm <laughs> and that like encouragement fresh home. So, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was awkward for sure yeah so i i came over i mean he hadn't even been released yet <laughs> but um he went and got released and then i stole him from his family that night and we drove around salt lake city and park city and all over the place and then he kissed me <laughs> wasting my time. Yeah. Story's getting juicy. Oh, I love yeah. it. <laughs> and literally, like that weekend, he's like, "So, are we dating? Are we serious?" And I'm like, "Holy cow! You've been home like four seconds. Like, give it a minute." Um, and he wanted to like get married really, really fast, but I was not. I mean, I was, I was still so young, and so I said, "I, we need to give this some time." So we dated for two years. Yeah, I think. You Were know, you I'm, still going through school? Yeah. Up at Logan. Were you down I ended up moving home after oh. a few months when he got home yeah. so that I could be closer to him. Okay. Well, I think I came home with that, like, idea. I'm going to have you, sorry, I'm a rookie here. So that top one, just very slightly. Hello. There we go. Is I forgot to adjust that. The gain way better. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
I think, yeah, no, I, when I was coming home off my mission, I think I kind of had, so I had never really dated anybody super seriously. So in my head, I thought, oh, we get along great. Like, yeah, we've been writing this whole time. I've talked to her on the phone before. Of course, this is, I know exactly who she is. This is going to be so easy. We're going to go home, get married, and it'll be great. But um, luckily, Kate had her head on her shoulders. We, like, didn't get married right away. So even though we, like, got to know each other really well from writing for, like, a year and a half, we got to we got to know each other again mm-hmm. in like a different, yeah, better, more in depth way. I guess. Well, I was also like, I need to see that you can get a job and like <laughs> buy your own car because he's still way young too. So we had a lot of growing up to do, and I feel like we still even still got married pretty young. So I feel like we've been growing up together. In and a way, no, I would anticipate true. that that doesn't stop or doesn't yeah, end there are always so. things to learn or experiences right. to go through well, and together. you like change and evolve as you get older and so that your partner has to figure out how then to evolve with you and take care of you with how your yeah. needs and everything change i remember yeah. for the longest time too even after we were married thinking like when am i gonna feel like a grown-up i don't feel like i really started feeling like a grown-up until yeah. like probably the last like six months or a year yeah <laughs> I yeah, wonder what that's that. going to feel like Tuesday. <laughs> it feels the exact same. I'm still wondering that. Of, yeah, no, Just it feels a little the exact grayer. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I feel like a grown-up now, but I don't mm-hmm. necessarily feel different. I just feel like yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. But we ended up getting married in 2006, and we just barely celebrated our 12th anniversary. Awesome. So. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks. That's such a sweet story. So Thank you. You guys are you're, you're newlyweds. Mm-hmm. in your marriage yeah when did thinking about kids having kids come in was that something that you guys wanted to do right away maybe wait for no i mean <laughs> so when we were dating i think we talked about it a little bit i, I remember yeah. right after we were first married because we kind of had a, a discussion i think and we both were like well i don't want to be an old dad well, that's <laughs> what i said anyways i think Kika kind of agreed with me so I mean, it wasn't super soon. I think it was about two years after we'd been married. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, we were living in a basement apartment at that time. And that kind of that discussion. But like my I my family had children, or like my sister did. My brother was about to have his first baby, and there wasn't really infertility in my family. Um, physically, everything seemed fine, and so I expected that we would have children. These instant we came off of birth control Mm -hmm. so it was definitely startling we had there was no reason to think it wouldn't work right away so yeah it was it was definitely a a huge shock and how did you find out about that so um so i i got off of birth control uh two years in and i mean well for a while so for a while we weren't necessarily trying we just weren't preventing yeah i think we just assumed that you know when everyone makes it seem like it's that easy right yeah i think we were were almost hoping for like an accident baby maybe yeah Yeah. just something fun to like surprise people with i mean this is probably way tmi but i remember like (laughs) my first month of being off of birth control i remember like being so nervous and crying like oh my gosh it's the first month that i'm already pregnant and i don't know that i'm ready for this yet you know and i buy like 10 pregnancy tests and they're all negative and i'm like oh i guess i guess i'm not not. pregnant but um 
so after about a year of just not trying, we, I started, I went and I just had my annual physical done with my doctor and had mentioned that I had been off birth control for a year. And so they ran like some very basic blood work and said, everything's fine. Keep trying. So that was enough hope for me. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I had maybe we just need to pay more attention. Well and everything, the doctor said to me, everything, yeah, everything looks great. Yeah. So I think after that, we started practically cycles. Yeah, I mean, without getting like way into it, they have um, women can like take their temperature each morning and mm. pay attention to other physical symptoms that are going on. And so I was keeping like a daily log of everything that was going on okay. and trying to take advantage of like when I'm ovulating and all that stuff. And I mean, that went on for probably about six months. And so I had a six month history and so still not pregnant. And I took that into my doctor and... They were like, I guess we can try putting you on just some um, oral medication just to like give things an extra bump just mm. to see if that helps. So I went on Clomid, um, which any women who or any woman who's been on it knows like it just makes you psychotic. All of these drugs make you nuts. But um, yeah, so I went on that and I did that for about three months and nothing came of it. And at that point, like, I was so frustrated and so depressed. I had been eating so much food to cope with my depression, I guess. Okay. And anyway, so it didn't work. And so I, I said I was going to take a break from the medication and just focus on losing weight. So I lost 30 pounds. And, like, we were about to move on to the next aggressive step, which is called an IUI, which is in uterine insemination where they take the semen. The babies. <laughs> yeah. I feel nervous. That saying, word. <laughs> Can I be an adult? I should just say these anatomical things. <laughs> and then they put it up there for you. And um, with a turkey baster. Yeah. Oh. So I had exactly <laughs> right with a turkey yeah. baster. Yeah. Since we're, we're we're being adults and we're talking yeah, and that's, professional, that's, right? Right. Yeah. Medically, what they medically? Do. <laughs> I mean, it's actually a, a small turkey. I mean, it stand. pretty much is. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so. I I was just about to go through that procedure and then I fell down my stairs and broke my foot and my oh no my uh it was good it was right before it was like the first day of spring break yeah we had taken days off of work and I broke my foot and they said if you continue with this and you get pregnant and your foot is like a mess there's no way we can do surgery on this so I had to wait luckily my foot healed fine but um we're further in. And I mean, when you're going through infertility, like every second that you have to wait is just torture. And so waiting like for my foot to heal was such a pain in the butt. But anyway, so we finally went through with our IUIs. And again, like because there was no reason to think that they wouldn't work, I was so hopeful. I really thought they would work. And I remember making Stuart write this letter. It's so corny. But I made him write this letter too, literally titled maybe baby <laughs> like because oh, maybe wow. it worked maybe yeah. it, you know and so mine is like so sympathetic and loving and as if it's my child and Stewart's is like well your mother is making me do this and this is so dumb because <laughs> we don't even know if we're pregnant yeah. I, I went into those IUIs I think with a really bad attitude because in my head I was there thinking by the time you're doing this I'm like we've had unprotected sex now for three years like, there's no way that doing this stupid pipette thing is going to, like, do anything. It works mm -hmm. for some people, though. 
true if it works for you awesome <laughs> but i don't know in my head it was just like i think i'd already told myself i was just like no this is making me uncomfortable but I, yeah i think maybe you were um kind of let was, down from all of the fails yeah, before that's true i was like a one of those images of the snowballs that get bigger as they roll down the hill uh-huh. my depression and negative attitude towards all things like fertility and babies and life in general was just like slowly growing down the hill yeah yeah mm-hmm. Toward the pit of despair. Yeah. So the. Oh, that's my friend Tim. Oh, hi, Tim. Yeah. I left my door unlocked and he just walked in. <laughs> he may. Is he, gonna open he might open door? that door. Well, he, I said we weren't going to cut and we okay. had it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see if he uh, helps himself out as he's oh, helped himself in. So funny. <laughs> he's, he's knocking. Hey, hey, Tim, open the door. We're uh, we're recording. Oh, a dog too. Yeah. Hey Molly. Hey Tim. I tried you guys, to call you're like fine. 10 times. It's on <laughs> airplane mode. Yeah. Just my car. It. Just my friend oh, Stu and Keika re- recording here. <laughs> dog. He's the happiest. Yeah. It's okay. Dog. That's that's Molly. She's cute. All right. Hello, I'll, I'll I'll call you later, Tim. <laughs> right. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it was oh a strange car parked in your apartment. Yeah, it's true. It's my strange car. <laughs> yeah. Good friends. You got to have some good friends. That's right. That's sweet. He's checking up on yeah. you. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Anyways, um, yeah, I didn't think the IOIs would work. So I was I, like, when she made me write that letter, I was just like, "You're gonna look back on this in like two months and be like, this was so dumb." I, I did erase them. <laughs> yeah. But the thing too is like every time it didn't work, like my my coping was was anger and so I kind of just anger I mean food. I was yeah, gonna say so this snowball is is getting larger and larger and, and yeah. both of you have made references to weight and, and waking that goes with this and, and very yeah. common with depression, right? Right. And even myself, food is comfort. Comfort is food, and so you do eat. So along with these infertility struggles, you're experiencing these weight struggles as well Mm -hmm. as a result of the infertility. Yeah, I probably, I mean, I I gained weight on my mission. Like, I am a total food addict. I completely know that. Like, so giving into the food all the time, it's not good. So I gained, like, 40 to 60 pounds, I think, on my mission, Mm -hmm. eating tech. Tex-Mex. Yes. <laughs> um, everything's fried in the South, and it's awesome, and so grateful for it. Everything's bigger in Texas, yeah. too. <laughs> so I gained a bunch of weight when I got home, but when I got home, I was probably like 230, 235. I think by the time we got married, I was probably about 240, 250. And then every year through this fertility thing, I think, so like this this last year, I gained weight my first weigh and for a diet, but it was like the heaviest I've ever been. I weighed like So it just keeps coming on. I keep eating and I keep getting fat. No, you're working on it. He's, he's done a lot of progress. He, he has some amazing progress. progress. Yes. Now, it, it, it's interesting. A lot of these times, there's a, there's a lot of focus on the mom and the right. mother mm-hmm. in these. But Stu, it's, it's interesting you say that this had a huge impact. What were some of those feelings that you were feeling? I mean, it's, it's super hard. Obviously, like I have my own feelings of disappointment, my own feelings of like, what what the heck are we doing? Like I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if it's just like the Mormon upbringing, of like oh you get married you start a family that's how life works that's what mm-hmm. you do. Um, so I don't know if it's just it was those expectations or if it was trying and failing. 
were what you know i had i had all my own disappointments my own frustrations um i was mad about the situation mad that i couldn't do anything and then in addition to that like having my wife here next to me who you know obviously as a husband i want to protect i don't want her to feel sad i don't want her to feel bad i want like when we have problems you know the typical male thing like i Mm -hmm. want to fix whatever he's complaining about or whatever else it is yeah um so it was really hard as well in that aspect because it was something that i couldn't fix and so i you literally like you do you, you feel helpless like i felt helpless but it wasn't like the sad type of helpless it was like the angry type of helpless so for me a lot of i think my depression how i handled it was was in anger so i was very sad but i really felt really mad more than anything like i felt i, I was super short-tempered irritable angry Mad at the situation was was there like a specific focus for that anger, or just just mad in general? Uh, um, I mean, I was mad at the situation for sure, but I think most of my anger, honestly, was pointed towards God more mm-hmm. than anything. And again, I I don't know if it's because of the Mormon upbringing, but you you know you at least in the Mormon church, you're taught that families are are the whole point of life. Essentially, families are eternal. God blesses you with with children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. So I sat there thinking, like, okay, well, in my in my religion, we believe that God commanded us to do this like we we know we want to have kids we know that that's like the whole point behind you know whatever the temple and everything else that we do in the, in the religion and i'm sitting here trying to to fulfill this commandment and i i physically can't yeah what the heck you know so it's it's really hard you sit there and pray for miracles and i'm sure you know people pray for stuff all the time that you don't get answers to but i think that was that was just a really hard yeah. thing to go through was definitely having a serious lack of understanding at least in terms of what i understood the gospel to mean to me mm-hmm. Stu went through a time too where um he i mean it was typical depression where if he wasn't working he was sitting on the couch watching tv and that was it weekends we didn't go outside we spent all of our time indoors usually I mean like the sweet thing I guess kind of was like we were always like cuddled up with each other but at the same time we were almost enabling each other too, like to just lay around and I remember even asking Stuart one time like how like as as even though I'd known him for years and years at this point I'm like what are your hobbies should we sign you up for something like what do you want to do besides watch TV? And he was like, I don't know. I just want to sit. And I remember thinking like, is this what he's always going to be like forever? Um, We actually, I I didn't ever go on depression medication, but we did put Stu on it for a minute. Mm -hmm. And he didn't like the way that it made him feel. So. Well, it wasn't, it it didn't make me feel weird. Like I was on it. Nothing against people who are on it. I know some people need it. I mean, for me, it's just like I was on it, but, um, and I thought, oh wow, things are things are great now. Like everything's great. And I remember having a conversation with Keiko where she's like, nothing in our life has changed. And I was <laughs> like, oh, like I thought our relationship was like the best that it ever been. Like right I now. think he and thought depression medication would fix everything, where it's like it may give you the stamina to move forward. But we were, 
I didn't feel like life had changed. Like he was just watching TV happily now. Yeah. You know? Exactly yeah. <laughs> I think of those Febreze commercials, right? Where they spray a Febreze, but they're still in the room that yeah. has all of the garbage that's yeah, around. Right, right, as right. you guys yeah. are describing that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's really what it felt like. And so mm-hmm. for me, I, I got off it pretty quick after that. I'm like, this is like, even though it's making me feel better, maybe like I'm just, I, if anything, I feel like I'm just kind of pulled the wool over my own eyes, so yeah. to speak, and I'm not actually grasping the situation that life is in. Yeah, I think, and obviously, I, I, I think I went through a form of depression too. But for me, um, just with my own personal feelings and beliefs with my own body, because this this whole experience has really made me attuned to my physical self and like the mm-hmm. feelings my body gives to me, and the grief process and the loss of everything, I didn't want to mute with medication. I felt like for me to heal and for me to move forward, I had to feel all of it as horrible as the pain was. So um, I've always kind of had like a limit for myself though. Like if I really can't get out of bed, if I can't function, if I can't perform my daily duties, then I need to talk to a doctor. But if I'm still functioning, then I need to learn how to cope with life as it is. And I felt like luckily, I mean, I, I didn't have like the easiest childhood, but I've watched my mom go through things and, and other people who I um, am inspired by. And so I knew mm-hmm. as hard as it could be that I could overcome, like it's going to take time and it's going to take patience, but, but I can do this. And so, and so I kind of think amazing. that's how we've both kind of felt with medication. Like I, I fully support people being on it when they really need it, but I didn't feel like it was something I, I wanted to be on. Yeah. At, at times it can correct a very severe chemical imbalance where right. it's going to be good. But in other situations, like you said, it, it's it's situational. Your, your brain yeah. doesn't have that imbalance that other people may have, right. but it's just making the situation better well not at the same time. Yeah. That, yeah. That's so interesting. So, so you guys tried the IUI. Yeah. The first time. Yep. Did not work. Now what? Okay. Where Where are you guys at? So we... Um, Tried another one. Yeah, we did a couple and neither okay. of them worked. And then at this point, I think we're in like 2012 and someone recommended a doc- doctor to me. I'm not going to say who he is just because I hate him so much. But um, they recommended to me because his price prices were far less expensive than anyone else in Utah. And so we went and had a consult with him and immediately on the first appointment, he's like, oh, I know exactly what the problem is. It's this and this and this. Both of your testosterone levels are just the worst. We're going to put myself, um, oh no, both of us on hormones um, to bring those levels up. And so he actually put like, um, it's like the size of a homeopathic pill, but a pellet, a testosterone pellet, and he sliced my hip open and shoved this testosterone pellet inside my hip and butterfly bandaged it and wow on your first visit is- oh sorry oh no. okay i was like but that was the diagnosis doctor <laughs> he's like let me let's, cut you open let's cut you open let's get <laughs> this inserted no, sorry. okay that was a little while a couple okay yeah so he, he yeah. ran through that and right. then that was part of his yeah but he did like a physical on the first examination and um all sorts of stuff and we fully trusted him he was the mm-hmm. first person who said i have answers for you so we were so vulnerable and desperate and so we were willing to do anything he told us to do yeah so i did this um hormone therapy and the testosterone was meant to be in my system for six months and after six months that was going to be the prime time to do 
<clears throat> excuse me, what they call a min stim IVF, where they do very med- very minimal medication. Um, they only want to just grow a few eggs, and then they retrieve them, fertilize them, let them grow for a few days in a petri dish, and then put them back inside the mother. So, anyway, so I did the protocol exactly like he said to. And six months in, we did the minimal stimulation IVF and we got, I think, like four or five eggs and they fertilized them with Stu's sperm and um, day three into the growth of our little um, embryos, they said the quality is pretty bad. Um, We're going to hurry and just transfer them inside you now. And so I remember we went in and again, so hopeful Mm -hmm. because we've done everything. We paid so much money. I actually took a little money out of like my 401k to pay for it. And um, and so to go in and they said, these look pretty bad and we have no hope for you. I just remember being so devastated. Wow. Plus having waited that time frame, right? The six yeah. months with the testosterone and now we're to this point. Right. So there's all of that built up, the yes. hope, as you mentioned, the vulnerability that you yeah. had. And to be told that at that point, wow, that right. must be devastating. It was. Yeah. It was really hard. So I think, and too, not like, that point i think that's a lot of the frustration and hardness of of infertility that people don't really tell you about is the waiting everything is waiting and waiting Mm -hmm. for something is obviously hard even when it's like something exciting but when you're nervous about an outcome it's like even more torture Mm -hmm. and then to just consistently get like the negative result from everything you did i think the waiting more than Yeah. So we, it didn't work. And I remember being really surprised by how things were handled. And I ended up, well, Stu ended up one night um, researching the doctor, which is something we should have done from the beginning. And he found some pretty terrible articles online. Um, he had served prison time for oh, no. for sexual misconduct with his patients. And he wasn't actually like a fertility specialist and just all sorts of garbage. And so I called the clinic the next morning and I wasn't even necessarily upset about that, but I was as upset at how they handled our situation because medically there was just a whole bunch of weird things that happened. And um, they said, we'll give you like a discounted IVF if you want to come in again. And I was like, I just want to run far away from you. Yeah. So um, I think at that point I, I started I had lost all that weight after breaking my foot or before anyway. And mm-hmm. with the failure and the hormones, like it makes it really challenging to stay, like to maintain your weight. I was gaining, I was doing all these things. And then also there was just this level of pressure. Like you said, there's a lot of pressure on the female where like there are all these articles and I just threw myself into research and it's like, you need to do this if you're trying to get pregnant. Eat these foods. Don't be stressed. Don't be this. Don't be that. And so I was trying so hard to make my body like the perfect environment to be pregnant. But at the same time, adding that level of stress just made it almost impossible to keep that up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I would try so hard and then like mess up a little bit. And it's kind of a lot of people who are trying to lose weight experience this where it's like, you mess up and you tell yourself you're a failure. It's you, you're done for. Why do you even try self-sabotage, mm-hmm. you know? And so I uh, would throw myself off the wagon and just binge like crazy. And so it was these cycles of like really well eating, 
and then like two weeks of binge eating back and forth and back and forth. And I really made my body pretty miser miserable doing all that. Sometimes I wish we would have kept track of how many pounds of chocolate-covered cinnamon gummy bears we ate in this, <laughs> like, <laughs> last yeah. 10 years. Yeah, we did eat a lot. Those were great. Yeah, very <laughs> yummy. Yeah. Anyway, so at this point, um, we knew that our case had been handled pretty poorly with that doctor, so we consulted with several doctors this time, which is what we should have done at the beginning. But we uh, Did you guys do anything as far as, like, Oh, Sorry, like malpractice or anything against the doctor, or did you just walk away from that situation? We just walked away. My dad practiced malpractice. He was a malpractice attorney. He was in California. He said malpractice oh, okay. can be pretty difficult. Uh, yeah, lengthy mm -hmm. and yeah. But the thing was, like, we actually did consult with a do like a fertility specialist up at the U, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's part of the reason why this guy seems so religious because we went up there. Met with the doctor. She looked at our records. She recommended we do six more IUIs. This after, was before the IVF. Yeah, after like the two and a half years of like trying, not trying, and then the IUIs in addition to. Um, so this, he was actually the second doctor we, we did consult with. And he's like, oh no, your hormone levels are here and blah, 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 blah. So that's part of the reason why we, like we, we did kind of research doctors, but we didn't look we, into yeah. them past just the initial consult. We're like, yeah. oh, finally somebody is like taking us seriously. Yeah. You guys are in that vulnerable state and you're being yeah. told and given the hope of what you want to hear. And right. he's telling you he can create this outcome for you. Right, exactly. And he's like, you're young. I was only mm -hmm. like 27, 28 at the time. So anyway, so we did consult with a couple more doctors after that experience and both of them looked over my, because I got the paperwork from that doctor and they said, oh my gosh, your testosterone levels were out the roof. Like you could have possibly been growing tumors. They were so high. Oh, and no. I'm like, what the heck? So we were pretty frustrated, but we settled on a doctor that we really liked and we've been with him for the last like four years, but we had to save again for mm -hmm. another IVF and each- what? Oh, yeah. What were some of those costs? Like yeah. up to that point where you started working with this new doctor so four years ago, mm -hmm. how much had you guys invested into this process? Wasn't like five or six or fifteen thousand something. Uh, I think we did it in well, it was probably I think it was twenty fourteen. So it's been about four years. But up to that point, I mean, so that that pervert doctor, that's what I like to call yeah. him. Um, that cycle cost about, I think, six or seven thousand dollars. Um and the IUIs and stuff leading up to that were like a couple hundred dollars each. So, but this new clinic, I mean, they're like the best in Utah. And we, we had a little bit of help some, from some family and friends. Um, mm -hmm. But in total, I think with medication, everything included, I think it was probably around eleven or $12,000. Wow. So, um, I can't remember if that's when I carried out that fundraising. I, on the first one? Yeah, if it was the second one. No, with we, that we had some family help us out with the first one quite a bit. I think they paid for a majority of the actual IVF, but we still paid for like four to $5,000 for that. Yeah, anyway. Medication can be really expensive. Yeah, it is mm -hmm. crazy expensive. But we, we went through that cycle, and they, did, they didn't they did do minimal stimulation. They did full-blown stimulation with the injections in the stomach. and you're, you're leading up. I mean, I think I was doing injections for probably about a month. And so then they did the egg retrieval and we got over like 36 eggs. And like when you think about it, like a girl each month is retrieving one egg. Mm -hmm. 
maybe mm-hmm. one to two. So 36 at once, like that's a big deal. And your abdomen is crazy swollen. And anyway, so they had good hopes for us because I responded so well to medication. But once again, they fertilized them. And by day three of them growing in a Petri dish, they said, oh, these just don't look good. And I was so crushed. And I'm like, well, I guess that's it. It's over. But um, we still ended up transferring the only two that survived to day five in their Petri dish. And they said they're pretty poor quality. So let's just cross our fingers. And um, I was convinced it didn't work. And so I remember I took two weeks off of work while you wait to see if you're pregnant. You know, you have to wait 10 days. Mm -hmm. And I was painting the house and I was doing all sorts of things I probably shouldn't have been doing. I should have been resting, but I just was convinced. And so when I went in for my blood draw, um, they said, you're pregnant. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been painting. I'm so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so excited. And I'm like, I'm pregnant. Oh my gosh, I'm having a baby. Because I didn't realize at that point, like, just because you're pregnant doesn't mean you're going to take a baby home. And so... I still assumed like we finally did it. I'm so happy. And um And with that, did one of the eggs take or did both of them? You know, I don't I don't know. Okay. But um I don't we, know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have an ultrasound two weeks after that blood draw. Mm-hmm. And so we went in for that blood draw. Well, I had started bleeding um before then, and so we were pretty certain I was miscarrying, but at that ultrasound they said, You're definitely miscarrying. We can see your uterus contracting against the baby trying to get it out and i'm like this is a nightmare but um so that was really hard well because of the bleeding we had expected Mm -hmm. it but we hoped it wasn't but that was after but before that so we got the initial blood results saying that you were pregnant and then we went through like two weeks of getting a blood draw every two to three days just to check check the hormone levels to see Mm -hmm. if they were increasing properly yeah and they they did one day, and then the next blood draw they wouldn't, and the next one they went up further. So it was like the constant up and down roller coaster that was like it's working. It's not emotional havoc on us. Mm-hmm. Were there adjustments that they did with those, or was it we just have to wait and see how yeah, this goes? It's exactly. All see, yeah. 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 So then at that point, my doctor said, because I was ready to give up, I'm like, this is not going to work. And he said, no, no, no. I think I think you have endometriosis, and endometriosis. I feel like I am just teaching everyone about female anatomy. But um Lucky for you, I studied exercise science by so took oh, anatomy. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm so, familiar with this, although I'm single, not married. <laughs> I, I know what we're talking about here. Yep. So basically it's just scar tissue from a monthly cycle that settles in the abdomen and just creates havoc for reproductive ability. So he said, I think you have this. And so he just wanted to give me medication for it. But the only way you can diagnose it, diagnose it is with surgery. And I said, I don't want to just go on medication just because you think I might have it. Like, if we're going to test me for it, I want to know for sure. So do the surgery. And so I went in through surgery and they said, holy cow, it's so bad. Like, it's everywhere. And hindsight I'm like that would have been really good to have known this like years before but again he's like we took all of it out we're gonna put you on the medication now I think you have a great chance of it working Mm -hmm. so my hopes are up again we've got answers and we know for real this time like we've seen the images 
we know what's what's wrong. Gone through procedure here to clear up something that may have been a cause, and well, so he did, right when he did the surgery, though he did say that there was potential that it might be in the ovaries impacting the ovaries. Yeah, which you can't surgically remove. Yeah, you can't open up an ovary. But anyway, so at this point, I'm like, now that we have these answers, I can't just let this lie. Like, I have to know what's going to happen now that we have this information. Mm-hmm. So we had to save again about the same amount. 11-ish thousand dollars. And so this time we, the first time we were really quiet, we didn't tell anyone about it because we wanted to have that fun reveal that everyone gets to have when they're pregnant. And the second time I needed help. And so I said, I'm going to learn how to crochet. And I made hats and stuff for people and they'd pay me for them. And if anyone wanted to give something to DI, I said, give it to me instead. I'll sell it online. And so our entire front room was covered like we had to, we looked like hoarders. We had to create like pathways through to get to the kitchen and stuff. But we ended up making um, probably about five thousand dollars in all the donations and things oh, that people wow. had given to us. Yeah, and then some um, good friends. Well, yeah, friends that gave us the money as well. Like, yeah, we had some great friends who great helped us. Help for sure. Like we, yeah, there's no way we could have done it as soon as we did without all the help and everything. Right, yeah. right. So we did receive a lot of help. So then we went through. Another IVF. And I think it was actually more expensive this time because on this time he said, I think what we need to do is give you some growth hormone shots for a few days to help beef yeah. up the eggs. And each shot was $500 for that. 700 like, Wow. Seven, but mm-hmm. we did like four or five of them. Yeah, they were yeah, way so expensive. So that alone just, yeah. Anyway, drugs are crazy expensive. It's outrageous. It's also interesting here you talk about those. So having like a... a, a working out bodybuilding background it's yeah. like this is what they do for bodybuilders who want to get big <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right i can't imagine that they actually pay the u.s price for those growth hormones <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. mexico yeah. yeah most of them do <laughs> anyway. yeah anyway. <laughs> so we went through another ivf and again responded really really well to the medic- medication and um by day five, where normally we only have like one or two crappy looking embryos, we had seven still growing. Um, we had two that looked pretty good. We've never had like a perfect looking one, but two that looked really good. And then the other five they were going to watch um, to see if if they, I don't know, if they just wanted to watch them an extra day. So we transferred mm-hmm. the two good looking ones. And this time I'm like, we've got everything figured out. We've been on this journey for so many years. And now we get to like tell our story of overcoming and we've done it. And I'm so excited. And um, yes, of those five, we had one that that looked great, good enough to freeze. Um, So again, we went in 10 days later, had a blood draw and they said, you're pregnant. Wow. But your numbers look really bad. And so they looked worse than they did the time before, which was really shocking because it was literally like, I was like, so they say you're pregnant at the the HCG level has to be at a five and and anything less than that, you're not. Mm-hmm. I was at five point one, <laughs> which and I'm like, this is a joke. Let me stop the medication. This is not going anywhere. And they're like, I don't know. We have to wait and see. So we waited like an extra week and a half again of the constant like blood draws every few days to see what was happening and um and then finally they they tanked and said okay now you're you're officially miscarrying so a few at that point Stu and i um we had a townhouse in south jordan and we were well we had one left so we did the well not yet though we did that yeah so we lived in south jordan and we were trying to live the life that all of our friends are living with children 
you know, and mm-hmm. we kind of got to a point where we were like, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, we really don't have anything tying us down. Why don't we do something different? Something that we've been interested in. We've been interested in real estate for a while. So we said, let's rent our townhouse um, and save up for a duplex. And so we moved in with Stuart's parents. And while we were living with Stu's parents, this is 2016 now, um, we had, we transferred that one final frozen embryo and it didn't take it all. I didn't get pregnant. And so. And that was the good one. Or the yeah. One, one of the, yeah, one, one of the, the good, good ones. ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I still didn't feel satisfied because we didn't quite have any answers like why I was miscarrying. Now I had entered a boat of why I'm recurrent miscarrying. And so there's this thing called natural killer cells and everyone has them. They're an immune function mm-hmm. of sorts, but we wanted to see if mine were elevated and they were attacking my embryos. And so I had a blood test done and it showed that they were, or that my levels were quite high. And so my doctor again said, if we treat this, I think we can stop you from miscarrying. So right after we got that information, um, this great online couple, Ellie and Jared, they have a massive following on YouTube. They were doing an, a grant giveaway to a couple who needed IVF, and they were going to give the one couple. And we ended up being one of seven nomin- or like finalists. And so we were really open about it then and like mm-hmm. telling everyone the story on Facebook, on Instagram. We were sharing everything, and we were saying, you know, go vote for us, give us a thumbs up, and do help us get this IVF. And yeah, we were, I mean, it's a nationwide contest and we were second in line, um, to win, but the people in front of us were like so far ahead of us that we were, we knew pretty early on that we weren't going to win it. But at the same time, it was still a really, it was so amazing to see this outpouring of love from our friends and family who maybe didn't know all the details and especially the online community and mm-hmm. people from Ellie and Jared's following who were cheering us on and supporting us and, showing us so much love. And so um, Ellie and Jared called us the day to tell us, you know, the results. And we we knew the couple who was going to, or we didn't know them, but we knew we weren't going to win. We knew the mm-hmm. couple ahead had way more votes than we did. But then they said, like, huge surprise. We've had a whole bunch of people step up and they're going to give everyone a grant. Oh, and wow. so we were like, oh my gosh, we get one more chance at this and now we we really have all the answers this time. Yeah. And so we couldn't believe it. We were so overcome with like appreciation and gratitude and love. And um, anyway, but we were still living at Stuart's parents' house. So I'm like, I need to, this is such a stressful procedure. I need to be in my own place to do this. So let's, mm-hmm. and we had to cover the cost of the medication, which was about $7,000. So we had to save another seven grand and also try to get out of the house and save for a duplex to leave. <laughs> and so we started working on that. This is all, this is so much information. Way too much. Just kidding. Sorry. And you cut as much great. as you want. You know. This is the full story. Yeah. I'm like sweating as I tell it. <laughs> but um, It's a little hot in here. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> so we... I started a medication and by when it started to when it ended, I had a limited amount of time to do the IVF. And so by the time it was like I, my body had to do the IVF, we were not done with our duplex. Yeah. So just quick story. So we moved in with my parents. We're renting our townhouse out. We, this was like right at this time also, the housing market was 
outside the startup's crazy uh, climb that it's upward. currently on. Yeah. So we finally got under contract for this duplex. We had to kick some tenants out. They were really pissed about it, obviously. They'd lived there like nine years. Oh, yeah. Um, but we kicked them out because the side they were in needed a lot of work and renovation. Um, we thought, okay, well, we can put some money into that and obviously rent it more while we live there. We thought we could live in there while we rent it. But hoping it's not too heavy up. <gasps> oh, that just fell. That's that's an extra one, so you're good. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so the timing of everything was just horrible. It was terrible. Right, so yeah. we were living in my parents' basement, but right around this whole time as well, my dad decided to leave the hose on outside and ended up flooding our bedroom. Oh, no. It, like, came in the window well and just flooded yeah. everything. So mm-hmm. we, like, ripped up the carpet and everything. Basically, had to move upstairs into, like, this small bedroom on this one side of their house. <sighs> and it's, like, this older side. They had remodeled a bunch, but it's a tiny bedroom. And Cake and I have been sleeping on a king bed, like, almost our entire marriage. And so the bed that was in there, there was a full, like, a full-size bed and then a twin-size bed. But the room was tiny, so this twin bed was literally, like, sticking halfway in the closet. I don't know. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah. I think this room was basically set up for my sister. The cupboard under the stairs. Visit. Exactly. So we, but that's basically what it was. So we tried the first couple nights to sleep in that full-size bed together, but we couldn't. So eventually one of us ended up sleeping in the closet, which is what we call yeah, the, we closet call the closet bed. bed. Yeah. But so it was just. We're, I'm, I'm just about to start my IVF. We're working on a duplex. We're sleeping in this, like. <laughs> Like bless Stewart's parents' heart for mm-hmm. dealing with us through all of this, but it was it was a nightmare and not exactly where I would hope that I would have my Zen IVF. But I had to go through with it. And I remember at a point having a moment of like kind of mental clarity where I'm like, I can't control every circumstance. I wish I could, but I just can't. And so I just have to accept things as they are and just know like things will happen as they're supposed to. And chill the freak out so um we went through another ivf and this was in november of last year and we i retrieved a good amount of eggs again and um and again their quality was just not good again which was just really frustrating because of all of the, the surgery and the medication i did to try to improve everything mm-hmm. so surprisingly though um when I got the call to tell me about the development, the embryologist had said, like, they all look really bad. And I, I don't even know if we're going to be able to do a transfer and, and put any back inside you. And I was just, especially because we'd been so open online. Uh, yeah. And everyone was rooting for us. And I'm like, how do I tell this to Stuart? And how do I tell this to our, you know, our, our lovely family and friends in this online community who's been there for us and I remember calling Stuart immediately after that phone call and I was just hysterical and I'm like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I wish I could change this I don't know how to I don't know what to do and I've ruined everything and he was so sweet and just said there's nothing you could have done like you've done everything you could possibly do like I'm so proud of you and I love you and it was like one of those horrible moments but it's like so sweet I've kind of come to a point where I've learned that some of the most beautiful moments come from painful experiences mm-hmm. you know so it was a moment that I'll never forget even though the circumstance is one that I don't love but but it's 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 just kind of bittersweet but then that same day the embryologist called me a few days later and said one's hanging on and it looks it, it came through I don't know what happened 
but it looks it looks good. It looks good enough to transfer. You've got one little baby that's trying really hard. Wow. And I I mean, my head is like pounding. I'm so emotional. I feel like I'm just going to die. But it was so sweet. And um, he said it's a little fighter. So we called it our fighter baby. And then he watched a couple others for a couple more days, even though that's past the time frame that they usually like to keep them out in a Petri dish. But he said mm -hmm. one more made it through. Its quality is not great, but we're going to give it a chance. So he said a lot of times we'll save these babies or these embryos. Um, and we'll transfer it as well, but it's kind of your cheerleader embryo. It's the one that's cheering the good one on. And so we called that our cheerleader embryo. So we had our fighter and our cheerleader. Um, anyway, but I said, there's no way on earth I'm going to transfer these in the condition that we're in. Like we have to finish this house that we're working on. And then when I've relaxed a little bit, we'll put them back in. So we moved um, a couple days before Christmas. We weren't even able to get each other Christmas presents because of the cost of everything we've been putting into everything. This home renovation was like... It was so hard. That's another story. Like that money pit movie. Yeah. Everything <laughs> yeah. just was worse than we thought it would be. But so in April this year, we finally transferred them and everything looked great. My body was right where it should be. The embryos, they freeze them. So they had to thaw them and they said the thaw went perfectly. Um interesting too because a lot crossed. of times it seems like the embryos you freeze them and then when they thaw them they somehow look better than they did or something like that so yeah anyway oh wow so we took 10 days off of work um and the day of our transfer because we didn't have a christmas we had a christmas for each other finally so i think our transfer is april 6th which I think is, isn't that Jesus's birthday <laughs> or something? But we had Christmas on that day and we finally gave each other some presents. We just wanted it to be the happiest day that we could. And so we, we had, it, we called it Christmas and mm -hmm. every day that entire, cause it's such a stressful 10 days, the wait, but we wanted it, wanted it to be as happy as we could make it. So we did something each day that like brought us joy. So we saw a play one day, we went to a Harmon's cooking class and like made a meal and, um, sometimes it was just a TV show we wanted to watch that we've been waiting for. So we made it like the best we could. And um, I I broke my own rule of taking an early pregnancy test, but I did. And really early on, um, like a few days after the transfer, I started getting positive pregnancy tests. And that was... That's the untold behind the scenes look at all, all of the IVFs we've done. Because like you have the blood tests, which usually show pregnancy at about the same time like an early pregnancy detection test can, but mm -hmm. I'm sure most women that go through IVF do the same thing. But like we probably have purchased over oh 100 gosh. pregnancy tests in like the last 10 yeah. years of my infertility. Yeah, we've got a lot. But anyway, it was the soonest that I had ever gotten a pregnancy test, which usually means the numbers are, are starting soon, mm -hmm. developing quickly. So again, hopes were up. But at the same time, because of the loss, I was also terrified. I'm like, is this just going to lead to another miscarriage? I'm so scared, but I really want to be hopeful. So I continued taking tests like a crazy person every day, sometimes twice a day. And um, so by day 10, when we were getting the blood draw, I was really, they say um, over 50 is good, but really over 100 is, is where it's really, really good. And I was hoping just please be over 50. I'd never been over 50 before at this, at this point. And they called and said, you're pregnant. 
that your number's low. And I was just like, no, no, not again. And they said, you're at a 38. And so I'm like, okay, that's still higher than I've ever been. Okay. Oh, and also um, because of the natural killer cells, I was on this immune suppressant treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, intralipids where they hook you up to an IV and just try to suppress your immune system. So I was doing that to try to suppress my body from taking out uh, a pregnancy. Um, so with that, I'm like, okay, let's just see. And same thing. They were testing me every few days to see if my numbers were rising properly. And they did. The whole time they rose really, really well. And so we got to like a day before our six week ultrasound, I just had a little, little light, light spotting, but that can be normal in pregnancy. So I was trying not to get too nervous about it, but we went in for our six week ultrasound. And in the waiting room, I remember feeling really, really sick. And I thought, I'm going to hope that this is like morning sickness and I'm just getting it but I, I felt really off and before they took us back to do our six-week ultrasound to see if you know everything's growing properly they did the typical do you want to empty your bladder first and they said why not so I went into the bathroom and went to there was just there was a lot of blood and I could not believe that while you're there so this hadn't happened before no while you're there at the doctor's wow. office, like seconds before I'm having mm-hmm. my ultrasound, and I was yeah. And usually at this stage with the ultrasounds, when you have dry dips, you should feel a heart. Yeah, and so I was just like, no, 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 please, please, no, no, no. And I cleaned up and went into the room. The nurse wasn't in there yet, and I'm like, Stuart, I'm bleeding, and I was hysterical. Um, anyway, so she came in, and I'm I'm a mess, and she said, well, let's see what's going on. Sometimes bleeds happen. Um. And with the experience of everything we've been through, like I feel like I, at this point, can kind of identify what they're looking for in the ultrasound, and I could see two two circles. And we had transferred two embryos, and so I thought, oh, my gosh, it's twins. Oh, please tell me there's something in there that, you you know, they should be seeing. And she was kind of hemming and hawing, and she said, let me go get the doctor. And, and so we just knew, like, this probably isn't good. And... Um, not my doctor, but an, an, another doctor came in to talk to us, and she just touched my arm and said, I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. I know you've been at this for so long, and we haven't been able to give you answers. This is, I'm so sorry. And I still wasn't, because they didn't tell us, like, it's done. So I'm like, so is, are they alive? And she's like, oh, no, no, they're not. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I cannot believe this, like. Now we're at this point, like nine and a half years into our infertility Mm -hmm. journey. I've been through, we've both been through so much and have prayed for miracles. And we've seen other people continue on with miracles. And we thought like this was finally going to be it. Like that grant was meant to be. And this was the thing that was, you know, because we were so open, we get to share and maybe help other people who are going through the same thing. And so they said, um, or the doctor said, you know, we we if we do a, a dnc where we you know sedate you and suck the tissue out of your uterus um we can genetically test the embryo and see if there's a chromosomal abnormality which people can do that before they transfer the babies but we had chosen not to just because they were already kind of weak mm-hmm. um so they said do you want to go through surgery this very second and oh, wow. i knew that answers like as horrible as this is answers come with peace of mind you know and so I knew like we had to make a quick decision um 
but I knew I just needed that, that peace of mind. So I said, okay, sedate me. And they did. And I, it wasn't until like weeks later I thought about Stuart and I thought how horrible that must have been for him to be like just watching me like fall apart and watch the nurses be like, I'm sorry. And then they have to kick him out. And he's just sit there and like send texts to everybody like it's falling apart and then take care of me after all the medications but or after the surgery but anyway it was it was horrible it was definitely probably one of the worst definitely probably one of the worst days of my life just because we went in hoping to see a heartbeat and I mean I was pregnant and I left empty so it was it was awful sounds like a very bad doctor's visit yeah (laughs) Yeah, do you have any insight? Um, no, I, I mean, that pretty much <laughs> covers what we went through. It was rough. For sure. On this IVF, too, like, we literally did like, every test you could do leading up to the IVF. So, like, um, they do something where they like, scrape part of the uterine lining to see how the cells are developing, to see when exactly is the perfect, like, to the minute time for the cells to be growing and everything. Mm-hmm. We did that. We did like just about everything. We called it the all hands on deck cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That was right. The all hands on deck cycle. cycle, Yeah. So you literally just try and pull out all the stops. Mm -hmm. I mean, it worked for the most part. And I like at this point, I think in our IVF story, I had, I felt like I had let go of a lot of my anger leading into this. Like, I think at a certain point, I was just like, it is so exhausting being angry. You know, it's like mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, and physically draining. So I feel like I kind of came to some some level of acceptance. So for me going through this cycle, I felt like I probably more than I ever have tried to maintain a positive outlook on everything. Like even when things were going bad, it's like, this is still the best we've ever done. Like it could still be okay. Like this is, is going to be great, which is a lot out of my character. Because I think I'm actually kind of a complainer. <laughs> Jake would probably agree with me if I like this guy. But um. No, it was it was rough. Just yeah, that doctor's office was rough. Because well, like, yeah, cake is super emotional. I'm feeling sad and emotional, mm-hmm. and then they it's like into surgery, and then it's like, all right, go sit in the waiting room. Yeah. So I just sat there, and I think we hadn't really told anybody that we were doing it, just because we wanted to surprise people if it worked this time again. So we've done both, where we like everybody knows when we've done it, where not everybody knows. So people knew we were doing IVF, they just didn't know when. Yeah, we didn't give dates. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, so then I had to go sit in the waiting room and start sending out texts to everybody that said, hey, we did our IVF, and we were pregnant. It was the best thing that we ever had, but we just came to the doctor's office today and we're fine. Yeah. That night, I remember um, I could not, I, I, like, would not let myself sleep because I knew I would have to, like, wake up and face reality, and I just, like, couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't. I don't even know if that makes sense. You almost didn't want to exit it just to step back in. Is that right? right? Like yeah. if I'm going to be miserable, I just mm-hmm. want to stay there. I don't want to have to let, like have peace and then come back and like have the back and forth. So I didn't yeah. sleep that first night. I stayed awake the entire night. Um, and I remember Stu had fallen asleep and he was in our bedroom and I was so upset. And I went into our bathroom so that I could turn the fan on and I laid in the tub. I mean, clothed like just laid in my tub not with no water and I remember like 
my heart hurt. And I had never felt like that physical heart pain before. But I thought like my heart was about to like explode out of my body. And I just remember clutching at my chest like, do I, do I let it explode or do I try to contain it? And obviously it's not going to literally, but it felt like it was mm-hmm. going to burst out of me. And like I, I had had like pregnancy symptoms and they were all gone. And I could feel that even though I didn't have like a baby bump at six weeks, I, do, I did have like some pressure down there and it was completely just flab at that point. And just letting go of that was so awful. And I probably cried. I, I finally slept after about 40 hours. I, I slept for like 12 hours, but um, I cried for like three solid days. And uh, we decided we need to get out of town. Let's go to St. George. And so we went to St. George for a few days and that really helped like brighten my spirits and give me something to look forward to, to get out of the house and, um, and we had a nice time in St. George and that was probably the start of the recovery. It's been, so that was all at the start of May. It's been three and a half months now. Um, and I feel like we've made a lot of progress, but I certainly don't think we're, we're healed yet. Like we're, we're much better than we were, but we still have a lot to do. I've been seeing a therapist and we're just trying to like gingerly look forward to the future. I, I mean, this has taught me so many life lessons and I know that like nothing's guaranteed mm-hmm. and things can change on a dime or whatever the term is. And to just be grateful for what you have in that moment and part of me regrets that I spent any of that pregnancy being anxious because whether I was going to keep that baby long term or for two weeks, um, I wish I would have just felt only love and no anxiety. But at the same time, that's kind of a impossible. But anyway, but I do feel like we're doing a lot better since then. You know, it, yeah. It's part of going through that, that recovery, that healing process you mentioned trying to envision that bright future as well. Have, have you guys discussed what that looks like? Where are you guys at right now? And, and what does that look like for you guys? Are, is in vitro that you're up and willing to try again? No. Well, not with my eggs anyway. Like I'm, I'm done. That's, I feel like the epitome or what do they call the definition of crazy doing the same, same thing and expecting different results. So we've done it three times. Um, or if you include pervert doctor, <laughs> which I don't, but the outcome has been the same every time. And so I just don't think it will change. So we have made the decision to not talk about it or not, sorry, not, not decide baby wise mm-hmm. what we're doing until next year. We want to make sure we give like ample time to heal from this grief. Um, we do talk about the next option, but and it's kind of just like a process of elimination. Like, where are we comfortable? Where are we not? Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of weeding things down. Um, so we don't quite know yet. I yeah. I'm, I love foster care, and I do hope we do that one day. I am scared of it, though. <laughs> like, I, So my foster parents, my foster mom, just real quick, I don't want to yeah. talk too much about it, but she did it for 40 years. Wow. And there are a lot of not great stories and there are a few great stories with that but it is definitely a risk and a challenge and it takes someone with an enormous heart to do it yeah but the impact that it has on those children is is priceless you you won't know with some of them they may haven't even contacted again but you won't know the impact that you have but you definitely will make an impact there my Mm. my short little spiel about that (laughs) how old were you when you 
when you were with your I want to say I first started to live with her when I was five, five or six. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's neat. That's amazing. All the way through 18. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, all the way till till now. That's that's my mom, my mom, oh, and my dad. Yeah, I love that. See, and that's the thing is, I would, I would do it immediately if I could keep the baby. But the idea of like bonding with the child and then having it taken away, like I don't know Definitely. that I'm in a place mm-hmm. right now yeah. where I can yeah. handle it. Like in the like, future, I think maybe I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in general, our hearts need more healing before we approach it. I mean, it's, at, at the end of the day, we know what options there are in terms of how we. Accept Acquire a child. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, catalog for those. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. But it's kind of hard. I, I think I've, Keika probably has been wanting to talk more about what to do next more than I have. I, so, for whatever reason, I don't know. I think we kind of go back and forth with, I guess we just process things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's been hard because whatever we do next, like there's still options potentially where. I'm able to still have a biological child. Not that that's the most important thing, but like having <laughs> oh man, I'm an ugly crier and I talk weird when I cry. I go You're so handsome. Permit voice. <laughs> um, it's been I don't know. Ah, sorry, <laughs> I it's it's hard for me to know that we are leaving cake. Even though it's not something that's a possibility, so I I think the the biggest holdup on on deciding what the next step is or what to do has mostly been because even though I know I have to let it go, I don't feel like I can. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's it's definitely been hard, but I mean we we do know what what next steps are available to us, whether mm-hmm. it's foster, whether it's adoption, whether it's egg donation or embryo donation, like those are the four four paths we can take. And it's kind of funny because Cake and I, I think even before we knew we were going to go through infertility, we always had planned on adopting. Um, really? Like our kid or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think most of the reason we've been trying so hard with the infertility treatments is because especially once LDS Family Services stopped doing the adoptions and foster adoptions are so expensive that like at our at the stage in our life right now when we're raising a kid, like well this this is the cheapest route to kinda yeah. have a kid. But yeah, I remember we were going after the the first MinStim IVF failed, I thought, let's move on to adoption. And that week LDS Family Services announced that they were quitting and I just crumbled into the couch and cried i'm like oh how will we ever afford adoption but um i think even though i've i've known for years now that especially with my quality of eggs that letting go of my biology was a possibility and i still had hope for this last ivf Mm -hmm. but i've kind of been letting that go for some time so i do think maybe that's been a little easier on me than stu because i started long ago letting go of that but it has definitely given me um, a new perspective of, <laughs> like, like I, I love our nieces and nephews so much, but, you know, you can see their parents in them, and you see, well, that comes from your mom or that comes from your dad. And, like, I, our goal is parenthood. We want to be parents more than we want, like, a biological tie, but knowing, like, 
that's like may not be something like oh you get that from your dad or, or from Stuart or from me like that that is something that you have to let go of you know and so we want to give that it's it's I don't want to take on a baby when that's something I'm still thinking of like when I take on that baby I want to know I love you completely for who you are no matter where you come from and yeah. so it's so important for us to make sure that 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 is let to rest before we um before we move on that's kind of hard. Like in in a lot of ways, uh, it's almost like we're mourning the loss of somebody that never existed. Mm-hmm. But in, like, it's weird. It's weird how minds and emotions play. Like, even though that baby technically has never been here, technically we've lost an actual child, it still feels like we've lost a baby. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think it's near the emotions on top of it. It's, right. It's but it's like letting go of a dream. Loss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's even been described that way as far as like coming over like traumatic experiences or or any difficulties that we faced in life. We almost have to go through that mourning, that death with that experience to to be able to overcome it and to start fresh and new. And wow, thank you guys for sharing all of that. It's amazing. And and (laughs) it's a lot. A lot of, yeah, I, I can't imagine going through that roller coaster of experience of, of emotions, of highs and lows at one point thinking that you have resolved all of the issues, all of the things that are preventing you from having this child only to then going through another waiting period, all the time it's associated with it, all the investment, the commitment, the, the shots, the medication, the doctor's visits, watching what you eat, and creating that environment for your body to, to be able to take to, to end up where you guys are right now. Um, that's a lot and you both are, are amazing and strong and there is a healing process and I know that you guys will go through that and the next step and what you guys are going to go through will be very clear and very apparent to you in, in of course your own due time but we'll, we'll look at that present. As for others going through some of the same struggles or issues, some starting this journey, some who are in the middle of it, some who are at the exact same point, what, what advice do you have for those individuals? Um, one thing that we always talk about is, is uh, to consult with plenty of doctors. Do your research. Like we said, that's something we should have done from the beginning. I also wish we would have had all the tests run before, you know, after many failed cycles. I wish that was something we would have known in advance so that we could have tailored them specifically for us. So I would definitely recommend, like, Check off every test you possibly can before um, just assuming that you know because a lot of times you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm like so grateful for is even though this has been such a long journey, um, one of the most important things for me with this last cycle was to do it with no regrets, which is why we did everything we could do. And for me, that's, I mean, this process is not easy and I can't say that what we've done has made it easier, but I do feel like I can make peace with things because I tried everything. Like I can't live with regrets because I did everything I can. So 20 years from now, I can't sit there and be like, but what if I had done, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I would say do everything that feels like, like listen to your heart, do what you feel like you should be doing so that you know that you can make peace with whatever outcome, like you won't live with regret. You won't live with what ifs. Um, I'd say hold your partner close. A lot of people don't take into account the 
you know, the person who's not going through the egg retrieval or the transfers, people don't take the other person into into as much thought. And so, but they're they're going through it just as much. So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful people thought of Stuart through all the pain. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think we can offer validation. Like some people are able to think they get through fertility problems with like no big deal and other people it's really hard. So for those that feel like it's hard, it is hard. It sucks. It's so emotionally and physically taxing, and it's not fun. Um, so I validate you. Well, and one thing I would say <laughs> to people who aren't going through it, I would say don't give advice at all. No, oh, did you try <laughs> eating pineapples or <laughs> Brazil nuts? Like yeah, most of the time these people have done their to research. Las Vegas and getting drunk. Yeah, that was advice we got too. Really? Yes, wow. we got so much advice. <laughs> and... It's just awkward, and so I would say, just if you know someone, I mean, I think any trial, if you don't, if you have not experienced it personally, the best thing you can say to someone who's going through something hard is, "I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you?" Like people try to think of the perfect words to like make it better, but there's no words that will make it better ever. All you can do is just offer your love and support. Um, but to people who are going through it, I would say, it will be okay. Somehow, some way, you'll be all right. Listen to your heart. You're worthy of this. Just because it's not working doesn't mean you don't deserve it. And just do what you can to, like, I've thought of it as, like, treating myself like my own child. You know, especially as a woman, I've there's so much blame I could blame myself for, but this isn't something I've chosen. And if it was my own daughter going through infertility, I would never say to her, like, you're a failure. You suck. You're worth nothing. And so I've tried really hard to be careful with the thoughts I say to myself. You know, you are amazing. You've tried so hard. Good for you. And I've put on all the weight back that I lost so many years ago. I'm working on losing it, but... I don't blame myself for it. I am not mad at myself for gaining the weight. I know that I was going through a horrible time and I could have done worse things than eat, but (laughs) I did what I could. And so, you know, just, just take good care of yourself and be kind to your heart. That's wonderful advice. Stu, Kitka, thank you guys so much for being here, for sharing your story and, and giving the raw emotion with it as well. I can't imagine all the feelings you guys have gone through great advice that you have given others who are in that experience and others who are not. I thought that was amazing <laughs> uh, and, and good advice to give those who are so also are not involved in that situation. I'm interested to continue to be a part of your story and to see where it goes from here because it's, it's not over. Right, <laughs> It's right. still going to continue and to go on and, and progress, of course, in, in your own due time and where that goes. I am going to put a link for your um blog, your YouTube channel, uh, on this video as well. So others can see some of the stories that you've done and also continue to follow your journey and see where it goes, whether you decide to be public about it and to keep it private. And, and, you know, when you, when you do decide to put those announcements out, we're, we're excited for you and we're rooting for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening, uh, tuning in this week to Stu and Kate, cause amazing story. Uh, until next week, take care friends. Bye-bye. Bye.